So this summer, we are preaching through the life of Joseph, covering Genesis 37 through 50. And that'll finish up our multi-year series on Genesis. We've broken it up in different sections. The life of Joseph. And today we're going to cover almost two chapters, Genesis 40 and most of chapter 41. And what we're going to learn in this chapter, very important lesson for every follower of Jesus to learn, is that there are times when God calls us to wait, to wait for him to fulfill his promises. God calls us to wait to fulfill his promises. And this is crucial for us to learn because we can think, well, if God really loved us, then he would fulfill his promises instantly, just like that. And make no mistake about it, God does love us. What God would come to earth, be born as a baby so he could die, take on a human body so that he could suffer and die for those who've rebelled against him and dishonored his holy name. This is what our God has done in Jesus. What a display of love. So don't ever doubt that God loves us. But the God who loves us so deeply and so passionately often calls us to wait before he fulfills his promises to us. Think about Abraham. God promised that through his offspring, he would have a son through whom the Messiah would be born. But that promise wasn't fulfilled in Abraham's life for 20 years. Abraham had to wait for that. The people of Israel, God promised to give them, remember, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Beautiful promise, but they had to wait 430 years as slaves in Egypt before God fulfilled the promise and gave them the land. God loved them, and they had to wait to fulfill, see the promise fulfilled. David, God had promised David that he was going to be the king of Israel, but David had to wait 20 years before he was actually the king of Israel, before that promise was fulfilled. And so God often calls us. It's crucial that we learn this lesson because when we're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, we can think, I I thought God loved me. I think God's uh, angry at me for some reason. No, no, no. Understand, there are many, many, many times when God gives us a promise and then in his wisdom and in his love and in his compassion calls us to wait for the fulfillment. The fulfillment will come, but we need to wait until it comes. Now, just just a little side note here. We got to keep in mind that there's a difference between waiting for your dreams to come true and waiting for God's promises to come true. Our whole culture tells us, pursue your dreams, pursue your passions, but sometimes our dreams and our passions can be mistaken, right? But God's promises, God's plans, God's purposes are never, ever mistaken. So instead of pursuing our dreams mostly, we should pursue God's plans, God's purposes, and God's promises. So the the point of this morning is not that God will fulfill your dreams. Just wait. He will fulfill your dreams. He may hear, he may not. By the way, check with God about your dreams. Say, God, are are these your dreams for me or are these just my dreams? He is the boss, okay? So check with God about your dreams, all right? But that's not the point of this sermon, is that if you just wait for your dreams, they're going to happen. That's not the point of the sermon. The point is that if you wait for God's promises, they will happen. God's promises. We find God's promises in the book. 
wait for God's promises, they will happen. A couple of examples. Maybe you're facing a big decision, difficult decision, a life-changing decision, and you're not sure what to do. You know God promises that he will give you all the wisdom you need for every decision you need to make. That's James chapter 1, verse 5. But you've been praying, you've been thinking, you've been getting counsel, but you don't yet know, you don't yet have the wisdom that God has promised to give to you. Keep waiting. Keep praying. Keep seeking. God will fulfill the promise and give you all the wisdom that you need. See how that works? Maybe you are looking for work. Don't have a job. Very tough. And you know God promises to provide everything financially that you need, but you're not seeing any jobs coming. You've been praying. You've been diligent. You've been networking, praying, seeking the Lord, but no job yet. Keep waiting. Keep trusting. Keep praying. God will fulfill his promise and provide everything that you need. One more example. Maybe you've been hungrily seeking God in the word because you know that he promises to give us times when he pours his love so powerfully into our hearts, shows us the glory of Jesus so beautifully in the scriptures that we're filled, we desire nothing else, we are overflowing with joy, you're hungry for that, you've been reading, you've been praying, you've been pressing in, but it hasn't happened yet. What should you do? Keep waiting, right? Keep trusting, keep reading, keep seeking. He will fulfill his promise. God fulfills every promise in the scriptures. Don't doubt it. Don't wander away. Press in, pray. You will see the fulfillment coming. That's the lesson from today, from the life of Joseph. God will fulfill his promise, so keep waiting. So let's start with Genesis chapter 40 verses 1 through 4, and ask, how does Moses set the stage? Moses is the author of Genesis, so how does he set the stage for what's going to happen? Remember, at the end of Genesis chapter 39, Joseph had been unjustly accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife and was thrown into prison as a result. So as chapter 40 opens up, Joseph has been in prison. Start reading in verse 1. Sometime after this, after Joseph was unjustly put into prison, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, they continued for some time in custody. Now notice I underlined those two phrases where Moses highlights that time is passing by. The first one's right there in verse 1. Joseph was put in prison. Some time went by before the cupbearer and the baker were thrown into prison. But then even after the cupbearer and the baker were thrown into the prison, they were in custody for some time. So Moses wants us to get a feeling like Moses is waiting and waiting, and waiting, and he's waiting, and waiting, and waiting. That's what's happening in verses 1 through 4. So what ends up happening with the cupbearer and the baker? Verses 5 through 22. Start with verse 5. 
Notice that Moses emphasizes this word dream, because that's going to be a big part of what happens in these chapters. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Verse 6, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? I mean, how often do prisoners have somebody ask them, why are you looking so sad? All prisoners look sad, right? I mean, what's the... Anyway, Joseph asks them, and their answer in verse 8 is this. They said to him, we've had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. I love how Joseph is just so God-centered. I mean, he knows God. He fellowships with God. He's trusting God. He's praying to God. And as soon as they share that they've had dreams and no interpretations, immediately, interpretations belong to God, guys. Tell me the dreams. Let's go. He knows that God has the interpretations. He knows that God will give him the interpretation. So he asks them to share the dreams with him, and they do. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Good news. Three days, out of prison, back where you were. Verse 14, only remember me, Joseph says, when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So Joseph interprets the dream, but then Moses gives us a glimpse into Joseph's heart. Joseph wants to be set free from jail. He wants to be set free from the dungeon, free from the prison. So he says to the cupbearer, when you are set free from prison, would you remember me to Pharaoh and tell him that I'm not here for any good reason? I've been unjustly accused. Joseph wants out of prison. Do you you feel that in the story? Moses gives us a little glimpse here to Joseph's heart. Then verse 16. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable for the cupbearer's dream... He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. 
and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Tragic interpretation. So the, the baker dreamed, three baskets on his head, top one had baked goods, birds were eating it. The interpretation was that in three days, he was going to be hung on a tree, killed by Pharaoh. And notice how specific these interpretations are. Three days, dramatically different destiny for each of them. What happened? Verse 20. On the third day, boom, got it right, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. Of course, lifting up the head means something very different for each of them, right? He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he, Pharaoh, hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So it happened exactly as God said, right? And, and this shouldn't surprise us, because God is in sovereign control of everything. The reason God can predict the future isn't just because God knows the future. God plans the future. It's his future, his plan, his purposes. So he knew exactly what was going to happen because he had planned exactly what was going to happen. And tragically, in three days, the baker was, was hanged, but the cupbearer was restored back to his position with Pharaoh. Joseph is hoping that the cupbearer is going to remember him to Pharaoh, but the cupbearer forgets Joseph. No recollection out of his mind. But remember, even though the cupbearer has forgotten Joseph, who has not forgotten Joseph? God. God has not forgotten Joseph. Everything is going exactly according to plan what God is planning on doing here for Joseph. So let's ask, how does God fulfill his promise to Joseph? Now remember what the promise was. Way back in Genesis 37, God gave Joseph two dreams. And the gist of both of them, we don't read exact interpretations, but in both of them, it's his brothers, his family, they are bowing down to him. So what does that mean? When's that going to happen? So that's what God gave to Joseph, two dreams, but then things went downhill from that point on. So amazing dreams, but then he was sold into slavery in Egypt. And then he was unjustly put into to the dungeon in Egypt. And now he's waiting and forgotten there in, in prison. Waiting and waiting and waiting. So what happens? Chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years. And notice, Moses again, he's emphasizing the time duration that's going on here. Two years. Think of Joseph. Please, cupbearer, remember me when you go to see Pharaoh. You're going to be restored. Remember me. Talk to him. And so the king's birthday comes. The cupbearer, yes, he's restored. He, he's restored to Pharaoh to the previous position. So, okay, day one, Joseph's waiting for the, for the call from Pharaoh. Day two, day three, he's forgotten. Two whole years go by, forgotten by the cupbearer, but not by God. Look at what happens. Verse 1, after two whole years, what happens? Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile River. 
And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. Yikes, this is like a nightmare, right? And then Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. See all that God's doing here? He's just setting this all up perfectly. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, Joseph, right? A servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. Joseph gets the summons. Two years later, Right? And they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I love God, I love Joseph's boldness. He's talking to Pharaoh. And he's just completely confident in God. It's not in me. God will give you a favorable answer. God had already impressed upon Joseph that the interpretation was going to be favorable to Pharaoh. Joseph knew he was going to be receiving it. God's going to give it to you. And then Pharaoh tells him the dream. Now, Moses repeats the whole dream again. We're going to read through the whole thing, but I've, I've... I had Mary underline a couple of lines that Pharaoh adds this time in order to help us feel, well, I'll I'll explain it when we get there. Start with verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, seven seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, and here's some additions, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. I think the whole point here is to highlight how bad this famine is going to be. It's going to be able to consume everything, and so it's devastation. So that's that's why we see this. Moses emphasizes what... Pharaoh changes, or what he adds to the story. He says, then I awoke, end of verse 21. 
Verse 22, I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good, seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then in verse 25, beautiful, God has just given Joseph the crystal clear interpretation. Joseph just says, here it is. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he, God, is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. So do you see, God not only knows the future, God controls the future, plans the future, accomplishes the future. Verse 29, there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. Terrible famine is coming. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. So the doubling of the dream is just added confirmation. God will surely do it. But now, Careful readers of Genesis would have thought, the doubling of a dream, where have we seen that before? And we saw it back in Genesis 37, where Joseph receives two dreams from God, both dealing with his brothers and family, bowing down to him, which should remind us, well, that means God's going to surely do that as well, right? And that's what God's doing right in this story. It is happening before our very eyes right here. So Joseph gives Pharaoh the interpretation, and then in the boldness of the Holy Spirit gives Pharaoh some counsel, some advice. Now, therefore, verse 33, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Look at this guy, Joseph. Can we find somebody like this? Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. So Pharaoh decides to put Joseph in charge of all the food in all the land of of Egypt. And in these next verses then, Moses, just by going over everything that Pharaoh said, repeats, highlights all the ways that Joseph is being promoted here. 
Now, now, don't miss how dramatic this is. A few hours ago, Joseph had woken up in the dungeon. And now listen to what's happening to him. Verse 40, Pharaoh says to Joseph, You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring, which was a sign of his authority, from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, authority, and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. So wherever Joseph goes in this number two chariot, somebody's going before him, bow the knee, bow the knee. All the people are bowing down. This is just amazing. He woke up in prison that morning. You feel this is incredible. Thus he, Pharaoh, set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonoth-Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenoth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Now remember, here's, here's the picture of what's happened here. God gave Joseph two dreams. Your brothers and your family are going to be bowing down to you. What does that mean? But then he gets sold into slavery. Things go downhill. And then he is thrown into prison. Things go downhill. And that morning he'd woken up in the dungeon. But that night, Joseph went to sleep a free man. Probably in some palatial mansion in Egypt, and the number two man in, in all of Egypt, with only Pharaoh over him and everyone in all of Egypt bowing down before him wherever he went. This is astonishing what's taking place here. And God will end up having all of Joseph's brothers bowing down to him in the next chapter. Hang on, we'll get there. That's coming next week. But notice through this passage, Moses emphasizes how long this is taking. Let me just recap that. Look, look at how this goes, starting in chapter 37, verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock. That's when he had his dreams, at 17 years old. Chapter 37, verse 36, then Joseph was sold as a slave to Potiphar. Things go downhill. Chapter 39, verse 20, Joseph was unjustly thrown into jail. Things get even worse than just slavery. Chapter 40, verse 1, some time after this, after he's been put in jail, the cupbearer and the baker are put into prison. Chapter 40, verse 4, the cupbearer and baker continue for some time in the prison after they've come, so all this time is going by. Chapter 40, verse 20, the baker's killed, the cupbearer is released. Chapter 41, verse 1, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed, and then Joseph gets promoted, promoted, promoted. And then the summary statement in chapter 41, verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh. So to do careful Bible study, we want to notice the things that the author emphasizes. And one thing that he's emphasizing is how long this is taking. Joseph had to wait 
13 years before the promises were fulfilled that God gave him through the dreams. 13 years. Do you see how Moses is emphasizing that? He had to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. That's the lesson that God wants to give us from this section. For those whom God loves, those whom God has forgiven through Jesus, part of his love for us, part of his wisdom is to have times where we have to wait to receive the promise. So let me give you three takeaways from this powerful passage. The first is this. Understand the big picture of what's happening in the book of Genesis. This is not just about God fulfilling promises to Joseph. As big as that was, and and that was big, what's happening in Joseph is much bigger than that. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God promised the birth of the Messiah, Jesus, who would be born of Eve, and then later he'll be the offspring of Abraham, the offspring of Isaac, the offspring of Jacob, and we see promises that this Messiah is going to destroy Satan's work, and he is going to, by bringing forgiveness of sins, bring the blessing of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God to people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. Everyone who trusts him will be forgiven for their sins, receive the blessing of God. That'll happen for every ethnic group. So all through the Genesis, there's this promise of the Messiah. He's coming. He'll be born in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, born of the people of Israel. He's going to destroy Satan's work. He's going to bring forgiveness of sins. He's going to bring the blessing of God to people who trust him from every nation, tongue, and tribe. So this promise is repeated through the whole book of Genesis. And this promise is secured through the whole book of Genesis. It's repeated throughout the book and it is secured throughout this book. And the way we see it secured in this instance is by the fact that in the next chapters, this terrible famine does come, and it is severe famine. It is life-threatening, deadly, and God's people are living north of Egypt, and they run completely out of food. They are on the brink. If Unless something changes, they will not survive. And if they don't survive, then the Messiah won't be born. And so God has this whole sequence of events taking place here. God puts Joseph, their brother, in as the number two man over all of Egypt and especially over the food so that when they come asking for food, they receive the food they need. God's people survive, which means that the promise of the Messiah has been secured. So this isn't just about God promoting Joseph and what an amazing thing for Joseph. This is about God promoting Joseph so that God's people survive, so that the Messiah is born. Now, for some of you, this is the most important point of this passage. This is what God wants you walking away with. Because the big story in the book of Genesis and the big story in the whole Bible is the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We've all sinned against God, dishonored him, slandered his holy name, done wrong repeatedly. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that. We are facing God's judgment forever, but God loves us cares for us. And he sent the Messiah Jesus who died on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone who will trust him. And so when you put your trust in Jesus, at that moment your sins are forgiven, his power starts to change you, and his presence will satisfy you. 
And some of you are are not yet trusting Jesus here. It's no accident God had to be here for this passage to hear this lesson. The Messiah came so that you could be forgiven. That's why God has you here to hear the best news you could imagine. This morning, you can have all of your sins be forgiven, past, present, and future, be reconciled to God, have God's power start to change you, and have God's love satisfying you. You will leave a new creation, a new person. That could happen to you today. That's what some of you need to hear this morning. And I I plead with you, pay heed to this. Jesus Christ is the beautiful embodiment of God the Father's love. Look at how he loves us. Look at how he will love you as you trust him and are forgiven by him. Trust Jesus Christ today, right now. That's the first takeaway. Second, understand that sometimes God calls us to wait. There are some promises that God fulfills instantly, like the moment you confess your sins and put your trust in Jesus, all your sins are forgiven. That happens instantly. No need to wait for that. Some promises God fulfills instantly. We've experienced that, right? But many, many, many times, there's other promises that God fulfills later in this life or not until the life to come. Every promise will be fulfilled. Remember Paul says in Romans 8, in hope we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Our salvation, we receive much now, but much of it is hope for the future. Many promises are fulfilled later in this life and all of them in the life to come, for sure. And so, like Joseph, many times God calls us to wait. So understand, if you are waiting there's a promise that God hasn't fulfilled yet, it's because God has stood before you and he's saying, I'm calling you to wait. I'm calling you to wait. In my love and my wisdom and my compassion and my goodness, I'm calling you to wait. So be encouraged and wait patiently and trust him. That's the second takeaway. Now the third, this is so encouraging. Understand that while we are waiting, God is working. God is working. He's not forgotten about you. He's not, I just, I'm sorry, I got really busy over here. Oh, I forgot all about that promise. That is not what God is saying. While we are waiting, God is working. And that's what we see in this passage in Joseph. God strategically placed Joseph in Potiphar's house as a slave. That was part of God's plan. And then God strategically had him be unjustly accused, so he would be strategically placed in the prison. And then God strategically had the baker and the cupbearer come so that, and gave them dreams so that they would have Joseph accurately interpret their dreams so that when the cupbearer was restored to Pharaoh and two years later Pharaoh had his dreams, the cupbearer could tell Pharaoh, I know somebody who interprets dreams so that Joseph then could interpret Pharaoh's dreams so that Pharaoh would say, wow, this man is so wise. I'm going to put you as the number two man over Egypt. And all that was strategically so that when the famine came and God's people needed food, Joseph's or their brother Joseph would be the number two man passing out food in Egypt so they could all survive. God's people would live so that the Messiah would be born so that we could be saved. You are saved because Joseph had to wait. Do you see that? When we are waiting, God is working. We can't see how he works. 
One day we will see how he works. We will see all the details coming together. But now we trust. And God has given us story after story, just like the story of Joseph, so we can say, that's what's happening with me right now. I don't see all the details, but this is what's happening. I'm waiting. God's working. Now, just to be clear, this doesn't mean that if you're waiting here in Abu Dhabi that you're going to become the number two sheikh or the number two sheikha or something like that. That's, that's not the point of the story. But it does mean that waiting is not wasted. Not a moment of your waiting is a waste of time. It's not wasted because God is working. So be patient, Grace Church. Be patient. Remember the story of Joseph. Be patient and trust God because while you are waiting, God is working and you will see glorious things in time. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Father, I ask First of all, for for those here this morning who are not yet trusting the Messiah, Jesus, oh God, I pray that, that you would help them see that the big picture of what you've done through history is promising the coming of the Messiah, securing that promise, and then bringing the Messiah 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, to be born, to live, to die on the cross, to pay for the sins of all who will trust him, And I pray that right now, Lord, you would be gripping hearts with the good news of your love in Christ, the good news of forgiveness, the good news of heart change that comes through trusting Jesus, the good news of heart fullness of peace and joy in the presence of Jesus Christ. I pray that right now, Lord, men and women, young people here would be turning from sin and trusting Jesus. Do that, Lord, I pray. Save people throughout this room right now, I ask. And then, Lord, for for those who are already trusting you but who are waiting, oh, Lord, right now, strengthen their faith, I pray. Help them learn from the story of Joseph that their waiting is part of your love for them and for your broader purposes, that you have not forgotten them, but that you are using every day of their waiting. You are strategically working. You are bringing about beautiful fulfillment of the promise will bring them great joy and you great glory. So I pray, Lord, strengthen those who are waiting now. And Lord, for those of us who are not waiting now, that you would teach us so that when it's time for us to wait, we would be strengthened and trusting you. So come and do that, Lord, I pray. And Lord, we want to worship you now. You are eternal. You are God. We are just a vapor. We love you. Help us to see the big picture of how how grand your plan is, how big your plan is, how loving and wise and sovereign your plan is so we can trust you. Come and do that now.